It's good to have you here this morning, and I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go ahead and turn to the about the middle of the Bible, to the book of Psalms, and uh, we're going to read, to begin with here, from Psalm uh, chapter 89, and uh, verse number uh, 7 through verse number 14. I want to consider a thought on, on God, and I want to consider this thought here this morning, is God just? Is God just? Uh, often we are concerned about justice in our country. Uh, now that we have, again, someone stepping down from the Supreme Court, we want to see someone appointed who is just in judgment. And uh, certainly, again, with judges, we want them to be just. But I want to consider this thought, is God just? And uh, let's just begin here in Psalm chapter 89 and uh, verse number 7. The Bible says, "Great, uh, God, sorry, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of them that are about him. O Lord of hosts, who is a strong Lord like thee, or to thy faithfulness around about thee? Thou rulest the raging sea, when the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with a with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north, the south, thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are thy habitation of thy throne. Mercy and true shall go before thy face. I want to consider this thought here this morning. Is God just? Let's pray as we consider this thought. Father, thank you again for your word here today. And again, as we consider some thoughts on the justice of God, I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us to see indeed that God is absolutely, perfectly just in his character. Father, as he Again, rules over this world. He is king of this universe. He, again, has power over the creation and has ability to state all things. We pray that you would help us to consider this character attribute of God, that he is indeed just. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, some people will say that, that God is wrong if he was to condemn someone to a place called hell. Not the hell of your imagination, but the hell of the Bible. A place of eternal torment. A place of no rest. Again, someone might look at God and say, there's no way that a just God would do such a thing. But I want to argue this morning, maybe a little bit like a lawyer would, about the fact that God is indeed just. God is indeed just for several reasons. I want to start with what is justice what is justice is god giving to each man what he indeed deserves or what is due him that is what justice is is god giving to every man what is due him simply what is due him is not giving to someone maybe because they have a certain name or background or nationality, or color, or because maybe they're friends of the judge. 
It is giving what's due them. As we consider the justice of God, I want to give you five quick points here concerning his justice. But I want to read verse number 14 again. It says, Justice and judgment are thy habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. It mentions justice and judgment, but on the flip side, it talks about mercy and truth. These all deal with the character of God. But as we consider, is God just? I want to say first of all about God's judgment. Is God ruling and doing what is wise and what is good? As we consider his justice, it is God ruling and doing what is just and what is good. Now, we might not think it's good and we might not think it's wise, but he does as he pleases, as we talked about here on Wednesday night. Secondly, it is God meeting out justice due to causes and actions, not persons. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 18. I'm just going to, again, these are some first points, if you would. It is God meeting out justice due to causes and action, not persons. Again, there is no justice served when someone, again, is, uh, again, judged concerning their persons and not, not what they've done. Again, I, I remember seeing here in the news here uh, last week, it's interesting. I don't know how someone could do this. I mean, I understand you don't want to go to prison, but I heard of a man who had gone to prison for 20 years, and it was his actual blood brother that should have went to prison, and he confessed that he did it. So now that brother is going to be given uh, getting out of jail, and this other one, I'm sure, will take his place, I would think. I don't know for sure with our justice system. But again, I'm not saying, again, our justice system is bad. But I think about, in that case, that one brother did nothing wrong but went to jail. And the other one finally confessed that he did the crime and he was put in jail. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 21 God says concerning uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. See, God, again, judgment is due to causes and actions, not persons. It's about seeing the picture. It's seeing everything in it. It's knowing all things. There's no matter of petitioning or favoritism with God, but rather pure justice, if you would. Holy justice, if you would. I'll go down and see if they've done what I've heard. Someone says, well, doesn't he know? He does know. But he's going down there nonetheless to show himself as a just God. And God... Here is, again, as you go through these chapters, he will send down fire and brimstone upon some cities. And someone says, is God just in doing that? He is indeed just in doing that. There's no evidence that can be covered. There's no actions that cannot be distorted. Who says, well, I think I saw here this. Or it appeared like this. Nothing can be distorted. There's no evidence that can be covered. All evidence 
is always there when he deeds, indeed deals justly. Turn to Psalm chapter 58. It is God that rewards virtues, and he rewards obedience. And again, someone says, well, that's not just. Well, you can think it's not just, but it is indeed just. Psalm chapter uh, 58, and I uh, didn't write my reference very well there. <laughs> um, guess in here now. Let's see, I think it's verse number 11. So that the man shall say, Verily, there is reward for the righteous. Yes, this is the right verse. Verily, there is reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judges in the earth. There's a reward for the righteous. Will God reward virtue and righteousness? He will. But he will not reward, in a sense, as far as a good reward, that of the offender and that which does that which is wrong. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2, if you would. Is God that will punish with equity the offender? And someone says, he will punish the offender. I don't like the, the sentence. I don't like what he says in his word concerning what will happen to the wicked as far as those that die without Christ. I don't, I don't think it's equitable for him to do what he does with the offender. But let's read here in Revelation uh, chapter 2 and verse number 2. It says, I know thy works and labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear that which evil is evil and thou hast tried them that are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Thou hast borne and hast patience, and for thy name's sake hast labored and hast fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You see, again, God here in a position where he will reward and he will try according to what is right and what is good. He'll give each person space to repent. Everyone's given space to repent. See, you and I always, every person in general, I say this in general because I don't know if those that maybe are what we would call mentally handicapped that maybe can never reach an age of accountability to God or little children who die maybe at one or two years old, they might die and someone ha someone ha what happens to them? Well, they obviously go to heaven based on uh, David's account. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. To him that knoweth to do good to, and doeth it not to him in his sin. See, once someone reaches the age of accountability, they can be judged for their sin, and they will be judged for their sin. But someone, again, that doesn't, uh, understand that which is right and that which is wrong will not be judged for their sin. God will punish people that break his law. God will punish them with equity and he will ever and always give people a space to repent. A space to repent. By that I mean time to repent. An average person is given much time to repent. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 28. But in his justice, there's something that maybe we would say, you know, doesn't fit. Well, there's something in his justice that does indeed fit. And it's God that will extend mercy to everyone that confesses and forsaketh their sin. 
and this is important for us to understand, in God's justice system, the criminal can be pardoned. That's, 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 that's what makes this whole thing about God totally equitable, right, and pure. Someone says, well, what if the offender kills someone? Can they be pardoned? Yes, they can. If someone does this or that, can they be a pardon? Yes, they can. Let's read Proverbs chapter 28. Can a sinner be pardoned? Can a, can a sinner find mercy? Truth and grace, they all help guide the justice of God. But we see here in Proverbs 28, verse number 30, it says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Promised mercy to those that repent, or as it says here, confesses and forsaketh their sin, they'll find mercy. God be merciful to me, a sinner. We see in Luke chapter 18. In the Old Testament, we see the case of Manasseh, a wicked king that sent his own children to the fire. But yet we see him come to himself and find mercy. Saul of Tarsus, all the sins against the church of God, all forgiven him as he found mercy. Let's turn to Psalm 145. Is God just? Many, again, accuse God of not being just. God's not fair. This should never happen to me. This case or scenario or whatever it might be doesn't seem right, maybe to man. But with God... God is just. Psalm 145, and I want to look at verse number 17 here to verse number 20. The Bible says, The Lord is righteous in all his way and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him. All the wicked will he destroy. You know, there's positive parts to that. There's negative parts to that. And someone might say, I I don't want to be on the wrong side of God. I understand that. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of God. But as we consider a case showing that God is just, I'd like us to turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, there's some would argue, what about those who have never heard? Again, some would argue, what about those maybe, again, that uh, maybe haven't heard much or whatever it might be? Again, as we consider some thoughts on the justice of God, I want you to notice, first of all, in the area of judgment, God is fair and partial in what he does. We see this in the scriptures. We see this in life. Romans chapter 2 and uh, verse number 2 The Bible says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such thing. Or thinkest thou, O man, that judges them which do such thing and doest the same things, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God, or despises the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And so as we see a case, And again, I want to make some case points here concerning God's justice. 
God's justice is always according to light and according to truth. You will not be judged according to anything but truth someday. And again, that's good to know. In fact, it says there in Romans chapter 2, 16, it says, In the days when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. It's not according to some changing things or the, uh, maybe the, the, the partiality or impartiality of someone, but it'll be according to God's gospel. God will judge men and women according to the gospel and what they do with it. What have you done with the gospel? Let's turn to John chapter 1. What did the Jews do with the gospel? What did they do with the gospel of the grace of God? They despised it. They rejected it. They did not believe it. They did not trust it. They clung largely to their religion. And the Bible says that here in John chapter 1. And uh, verse number 11, it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So as, any, as many as received him can become the sons of God. doesn't matter what nationality, color, person's background you might be a part of. doesn't matter how you're born into this world, how you've lived in this world. It's all the same. God is just as he, as he judges according to truth and what is right. He has given light through the scriptures. He has given light through creation. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Again, I'm not going to be able to really look a lot here at Romans chapter 1, but I encourage you maybe sometime to read through Romans 1 because it shows all men to be accountable to God. And uh, someone says, why? Well, look at uh, verse 19, because thou hast, sorry, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto him, for the invisible things of, of, of him uh, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by those things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There's no excuse. People know there's a God. Atheist agnostic knows there's a God. Creation's light tells them. Some created all this stuff. Science tells them the same. It's all been created. There's a master designer behind it. There's a master architect. And that person is God. His eternal power in God, and the Bible says there, verse number 20, uh, is clearly seen. It's not hid. And so creation says there's a God. Conscience says there's a God. Verse number 21, it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but became, uh, were unthankful and became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was dark and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They became vain in their imagination. See, our conscience can be seared. Our conscience can be distorted. Again, someone says, what of the person who's not heard much? Well, their conscience tells them what's wrong and what's right according to sin. 
Romans chapter 2, let's turn forward there to verse number 14 and 15. Paul makes the argument here, verse number 14 and 15, that even though the Gentile didn't have the law of God, didn't have the word of God, their conscience was a law unto them. Verse 14, it says, But when the Gentiles which had not known the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law or law in themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing them witness, their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing them or excusing one another. Now, the conscience tells us what's right and wrong. Accuses us or excuses us. It, it, it bears witness to what is right and wrong. God gives us a conscience that tells us what's right and wrong. He gives us a sense of morality, what is right and what is wrong. Again, a, a little child will look down or look around sometimes when they're lying. Why do they do that? Because God gives them a conscience. Why does, again, someone maybe who's stolen something maybe look guilty when they steal? Why, why, why does someone, again, if you come into the room and, and maybe you're a parent there and you've, you've heard some scuffling going on in the room and, and you're wondering what's gone on in the room, why, why, does, why do both the kids look guilty when they stand before you, when they maybe were fighting one with another? Because they have a conscience. A conscience tells them they've done wrong, yet the Bible shows them they're wrong. And so based on the light that God gives us, God is just. He gives us light of creation, the light of conscience, and certainly the light of the scriptures. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Again, Luke chapter 12. You know, God gave us a book that he said would be ever with us. And uh, though grass and things wither and, and go away and, and uh, different things die off and different things maybe, uh, again, go into oblivion and a state of non-existence, the Bible will be here and continue forever. In Luke chapter 12, verse number 48, the Bible says, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. And unto him, whosoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. And, and so we see, again, there's, there's a requirement, again, with again seeing and having all these things that God shows us. He gives us a conscience. And we feel guilty before God. We know we're sinners before God. Turn to Romans chapter 2, if you would. Romans chapter 2. The case for God's justice stands upon the reality that God has given light to every man. But also, as I begin to mention there, he gives space to repent. In other words, secondly, he's long-suffering. Romans chapter 2, verse number 4, it says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The long-suffering of God. God suffers so long with every sinner. God puts up with the guilt of the guilty sinner. God in his goodness seeks to see these people come to repent, repentance. 
God is good. He extends mercy and grace to the sinner and uh, encourages the sinner to turn and trust his son to be saved. What's the purpose of this long suffering? Well, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. Yes, it's to give people a chance to repent. I mean, you think about people throughout history, they've been given space to repent. They've given time to repent. They've been given opportunity to repent. I, I think of Doug Hammett's mother, and I just mentioned this just because she died in 89. I, I would say that person in general had 89 years to come to repentance. She might have repented or could have repented when she was maybe 10, 12 years old, 15, 20, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60, 65, given many years to repent. Whether she repented or not, I don't know. know, Betty White, 99. 99 years. God gave that sinner a chance to come to the mercy and grace of God and go to heaven. She could repent one day before she died and she would go to heaven. That's the long-suffering of God. I'm not saying she's in heaven or hell or whatever she is, but God is long-suffering, gives people a chance to repent. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Men count slackness but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Men may be rejecting God, waiting on God, continuing their sin, yet God happily waits for men to come to a place of repentance. What is the remedy for a sinner is to come to a place of repentance? Repentance. But will all come to repentance? Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. No, not all will come to repentance. No, not all will come to salvation. Though God is willing to graciously and mercifully forgive the sinner and pardon them for their iniquity, for their sin, not all will come to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse number 5, it says, But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasures up Unto thyself, wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who puts, who, who again leads themselves into this place of the wrath of God? The sinner does. Verse 8, it says there, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth. But obey unrighteousness, indignation, wrath, tribulation, anguish upon every soul of man, whether that, that doeth evil to the Jew first and also the Gentile. Again, there's a right retribution, tribulation, anguish, wrath to them that do not obey the truth and those that harden their heart against it. You see in verse number 12 and verse number 13, for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. There's no difference. Someone says, well, the Jew has more opportunity. Gentile has more opportunity. No man comes to God without repentance. On one side, the truth is there's everlasting punishment. On the other side, eternal life. 
And so we see again, God is just to give life. God is just to be long-suffering. Let's turn to John chapter 3. God is just to love. God is just to love. God loves the sinner. Not his sin. But God loves the sinner and wants for that sinner to escape the judgment of God. But he's not going to force mercy. He's not going to force grace. He's not going to force heaven upon anyone. But he gives the opportunity for grace and salvation. John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's good news. There's justice with God. And God sent his Son so that we might be saved. Again, God is just because he loves us. He's given his son to die for us. He's provided a way for the guilty to be pardoned. John 3, verse 18 says here, He that believeth on him is not condemned, and he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. God is just to allow for those that just simply believe on him to go to heaven. Those that simply trust him to go to heaven. God's judgment is just for him to allow for a sinner not to perish. He turn and trust in Jesus. But let's turn to Revelation 21, verse 8. But he is just also to condemn those that will not believe in him, will not trust him. Though extending his grace to them, he has the right and he is righteous to condemn them. Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, But the fearful and the unbelievable and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and saucers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. The unbelieving. What keeps someone from heaven? Is it baptism? No, it's unbelief. Not believing the gospel. Not believing the truth. God has to again condemn the wicked. And he has the ability to give salvation to those that repent and acknowledge the truth. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5, verse number 6 through 10. One might argue if there was no way for the sinner to be pardoned that God was unjust. And you could argue that. If there was no way for the sinner not to be condemned, God would be unjust. But you see here in Romans chapter 5, verse number 6, it says, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Again, we see the love of God willing to send his son 
be a savior. To save the sinner from their sins. They can be justified by his blood, justified by grace, justified by the mercy of God, and saved from wrath through him. Ephesians chapter 2, let's turn over there. God had a plan for his creation. God had a plan for humanity and that he would send his son to die on the cross for them as a sin bearer. And to give them opportunity to be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love, wherein he loved us. Even when we're dead in sins, has quickened us together. By grace are you saved. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Saved by life. Saved by love. That's how anybody and everybody is saved. God's judgment is against every man. And no one gets to go to heaven because of maybe their background or maybe their religion. Have they trusted in Jesus? Again, as you think about, again, the justice of God, God has shown his love. He has given his son to die for us. And so God is, again, someone who is completely just. Let's turn to John chapter 5, if you would. It's not hard, really, for someone to be saved. Anybody who can trust can be saved. Let me say that. Can you trust and be saved? There are people that trust people and they trust them, right? Do you trust your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, maybe a coach, a relative, a teacher, a boss, whatever it might be? Can you trust someone? Everybody can trust someone. Can you trust Jesus? Based on his word, can you trust Jesus to be saved? Yes, you can. John chapter Five here, verse number 39. Again, God is just because of the light of creation and conscience. God is just because he's long-suffering. He waits for the sinner to repent. Like the prodigal son that came home, God is willing to forgive and to pardon. God is love, and he allows for man to be saved through his son, Jesus Christ. And that shows the love of God. And the soul is the justice of God. But I want you to read here along with me, John chapter 5, verse number 39 and verse number 40. The Bible says, Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. How is God just? He gives us his word. And he tells us to search it to find eternal life. And yet the Bible says here of those that heard him at that time when he was teaching this message here, it says, and you will not come to me that you might have life. People simply reject the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You will not come to me that you might have life. It's not God that chooses death. The sinner chooses death rather than life. It's not man that cannot be saved. It is man that chooses not to be saved. He rejects the gospel. He re rejects the truth. He says, I will not. What will happen to this person who rejects the gospel? Well, God, because he loves so much, he'll say, you know what? You don't have to have anything to do with my son. And you can be saved. 
universalism, as they call it. Everybody at some point will be saved. No, he doesn't do that. He wouldn't be just in doing that. Turn to John chapter 12. He wouldn't be just sending his son to die in man's place, giving them opportunity to look and live to be saved, and then turn around and say, well, you know what? Everybody's going to be saved anyway. Everybody's going to go to heaven anyways. What you do with my son doesn't matter. If you're of a different religion, that's okay. If you don't believe in him, that's fine. What does the Bible say here in John chapter 12, verse number 48? It says, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. It was kind of like having rules, regulations. God says, this is my word. This is what you have to do. This is what's right. And if you do that which is right, you can be saved. If you don't do that which is right, you won't be saved. It's not a matter of works. It's a matter of what you do with grace. What you do with mercy. Turn to John chapter 5, verse number 24. Again, someone says, well, I don't like the system. I don't like how it's set up. And people argue with different systems of justice and they may argue with God. I just don't think this is a fair situation. I don't have a fair shake. I'm just a person bent towards disobedience. I'm a person bent towards disbelief. But yet, God says, choose ye. Choose ye. This day who you will serve. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's a matter of choice. John chapter 5 and verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So wonderful words. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. See, the possibility of being saved is placed in the hand of every sinner. They can reject the light of God. They can reject the long-suffering of God. They can reject the love of God. They can reject the, the, the living word of God. And if they do so, what should God do with them? Just save them anyway? Should he save them anyway? No, he, he saves them one way. Verse 24, uh, sorry, verse 34 of this chapter, it says, But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. Things that he writes here in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Roman, the Gospel messes in general, are written that men would be saved. What is the will of God? Well, look at John chapter 6, verse number 29. I I always focus on this verse a lot because it's so needful for people to see that salvation is not in religion. Salvation is not in works. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. In verse number 29, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. You believe in the Messiah? You believe in the Savior? You believe in the Lamb of God? You trust in that to be saved? You can be saved. That's as simple as as it gets. Turn to Acts chapter 4. God has done all he can to have a sinner come to salvation. He's not going to force someone to come to the mercy and grace of God. They must come to the mercy and grace of God. 
They must accept the gift of eternal life. They can reject the gift just like you can reject a gift. Uh, they have the ability to be saved. They have, the uh, again, the opportunity to be saved. But they need to be saved and choose to be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You must be saved through Jesus, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. You know, we're going to be in Romans chapter 10 here on Wednesday nights. And it's sad as you see these first verses in Romans chapter 10. The Jews, who you would think would be saved, are not saved. And Paul is talking about this to begin with. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You say, why aren't they saved? It says, verse number two, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is by faith. You read the book of Romans, you'll see the righteousness of God is by faith. The righteousness of God is through Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God is through the blood. The righteousness of God is God parting a sinner who sees the goodness of God and leads them to repentance. But notice here in verse number 9 of this chapter, it says that if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord of all is rich on all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, we like that verse. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But whosoever will not call upon the name of the Lord will not be saved. Salvation is available. It can be rejected. It can be accepted. But it's up to you. Let's turn back to Psalm chapter 89. I come back here to Psalm chapter 89. I want to read here in Psalm chapter 89 and verse number 7 through 14 again. God is a just God. God is just in his doings, just in his ways, just in his dealing with sinners, just in dealing with people. Verse 7, it says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all that are about him. The Lord of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Thou rulest the raging sea when thou, the waves thereof arise. Thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thy enemies with a strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south has created them. Tabor and Hebron shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Is God just? Yes, he is. 
God rules and does what is wise and good. God shows mercy to those who accept mercy. God meets out, as we talked about, justice. Not due to persons, but rather the causes or actions. God rewards the virtues. And God rewards that which is right. God will punish equally the offender. But God will also extend mercy and grace to he that forsaketh and confesses his sin. Let's close as we consider the word of God here this morning.